Thank you, Daniel. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jaime Jimenez. I'm the pastor of mission here at Christ the King, and I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. Our text for today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Now, if you're familiar with this letter, or if you have been here for the last few Sundays, you might recall that Paul opens up the letter by praising God for the many spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ. And as part of the many blessings, Paul centers his attention on the fact that those who are in Christ have passed from spiritual death to life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now God has made us alive in Christ. And this new life is not something that we earn. Paul says it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Now, before I read our passage for today, I would like to give you three key phrases to pay attention to in order to better appreciate what Paul is saying in this section, where he continues to talk about the blessings that we have received in Christ, but not just as individuals, but also as part of a new humanity. Because God is not just reconciling isolated individuals to himself, but he's actually forming a new people that is both reconciled to God and to one another. And Paul will explain this by turning his attention to the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. So the three phrases to pay attention to are the following. First, on verse 11, therefore, remember. Therefore connects with what, what he previously said with what he's about to say. And the word remember tells us that he's going to talk about a past status. Therefore, remember. Secondly, on verse 13, please pay attention to the phrase, but now. But now. There's, there's going to be a contrast. Something has changed. And the word now tells us that he's going to talk about a present reality. And finally, on verse 19, please pay attention to the phrase, so then. So then means that he's going to talk about consequences or implications of what has been said, and therefore he's turning our attention to the future. Therefore, remember verse 11, but now, verse 13, so then, verse 19. Okay, enough introduction. Let's read the scriptures from verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision, but by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then, 
You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we wish to see Jesus. By the power of your Spirit, we pray that you will give us eyes to see his glory. And it's through Christ that we pray. Amen. For the last 12 months, we have been going through the current pandemic. And uh, we, have been, we have learned to live differently in, in many ways. We have adapted or embraced a new reality. We have learned to Zoom to mute and to unmute, to wear masks, to keep social distance, to clean our groceries. And in our conversations, probably all of us have talked about the idea of going back to normal or have wondered what the new normal will be. And uh, um, I'm not here to talk about the pandemic this morning, but I just want to borrow the terms normal new normal, and embracing, and use them to talk about this passage because I think they will help us picture what Paul is saying here. So I want to borrow the term normal and use it to describe not what life was like before the pandemic, but what life has been like since Adam and Eve rebelled against God and were expelled from paradise. That condition of rebellion and brokenness is what normal looks like. That's the world we all have been born into. And in particular, we will talk about the brokenness that we experience in our relationships with one another. Then I want to borrow the term new normal, but I'm not going to use it in a negative sense as we commonly use it to describe uh, a situation that we need to learn to cope with. No, I'm going to use it in the most positive way to describe the new humanity that Christ has created. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus are part of that new humanity. So that's what defines our new normal. And finally, I would like to borrow the term embracing to talk about the process of learning to live congruently with our new reality or our new normal. So the normal, the new normal, and how to embrace it. So let's begin with the normal. This past week, one of my seminary professors texted me a, a picture of a chart that was published in a magazine just this month. And, and the graphic showed the results of a survey done last December by a research institute where they asked different religious groups what they thought were the, the top three critical issues faced in America at that moment. And the participants were grouped uh, under the categories white evangelical Protestants, white Catholics, Hispanic Catholics, white mainline Protestants, Hispanic Protestants, black Protestants, other Christians, and then some other non-Christian groups. And among the top issues mentioned by all Christian groups were the pandemic, crime, fairness of elections, terrorism, healthcare, racial inequality, unemployment, and then a few others. Now, all of these 
are serious issues that God cares about and that we should care about too. But what really struck me from the chart was that no Christian group, not even one, included the lostness of men. It doesn't even show in the top three. And if we miss the need of every person to be reconciled to God through Christ, to borrow Paul's words, we are left having no hope and without God in the world because, as he says, we are separated from Christ. That's what normal life is since Adam and Eve turned their back on God. So the most critical need that every person faces is their need to be reconciled to God. So as Paul begins to talk about the hostility between Jews and Gentiles, he does so without losing sight of the root problem. Because all these other forms of brokenness that, again, God cares about, and not only that, but God will get rid of, come out of a broken relationship with our Creator. So take, for example, the brokenness that we experience in our relationships with one another. How do human beings tend to function? What's normal? Well, Paul gave us a good example, as he describes here the story of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. And in one word, it is a story of hostility. As we read in the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles didn't get along very well. Now, the Jews had the Torah, or the law, the promises, circumcision as sign of the covenant. They had the temple in Jerusalem. But instead of using all these privileges to be a blessing to the Gentiles and a light to the nations, they used them to keep them out, to exclude them. And a clear, a clear picture of this was the temple in Jerusalem. In first century Judaism, the, the temple consisted of four sections. The closest that a Gentile could come was the, the, the outer zone, the, the called the, the court of the Gentiles. It was a huge space of about 35 acres. After the court of the Gentiles, then you find the, the actual sanctuary divided in three sections. But in between the court of the Gentiles and the actual sanctuary, there was a wall with signs written in Latin, Greek, and Aramaic saying, no foreigner may enter within the regling and enclosure that surround the temple. Anyone apprehended shall have himself to blame for his consequent death. Now, think about the Gentiles' experience in going to the temple, which, by the way, was seen as the center of God's presence on earth. And yet, they had to remain outside. They were excluded. And that's actually a faithful picture of the relationship between these two groups. There was enmity that ran both ways. So don't, please don't, don't, don't get me wrong as if I'm trying to say that the Jews were the problem and the Gentiles were the victims. That's not what I'm saying. But if we take a look in particular at the religious Jews, we get a better idea of how enmity between human beings work. The Jews took something that was very good, the law of God. Then they based their identity on their performance of the law. So they became proud because they did things like circumcision, which was actually supposed to be a reminder of God's gracious promises to them. But they then saw themselves as better people for keeping up with a few commandments. And therefore, they saw everyone else as worse people for not obeying the law. 
And finally, they verbalize their despise and their sense of superiority and call the non-use the uncircumcision. Now, this is not something exclusive to that relationship between Jews and Gentiles. This is what normal looks like for all the human race since Genesis 3. We take good things or skills or blessings that we have received only by God's grace, like a healthy body or a good education or the privilege of being raised in a stable family or a successful career or you name it. And there's nothing wrong with any of these things. But frequently, we begin to think that we have them because we deserve them, because we have worked hard for them, because we make good choices in our lives, and we become proud. And then we look down on others whose life is not as good as ours. Frequently, these things become so central in our lives that we begin to place our value and our identity on them. But we're never satisfied. It's never enough because there is always somebody that has more, that knows more, or that looks better. And in consequence, our relationships become destructive in several ways. Sometimes we, sometimes we try to use others for the sake of increasing what we have or advancing our path. Or we become aggressive if anybody represents a threat to what we value most, to what we have received as a gift. Or we simply ignore those that do not bring any value to what we are pursuing. <clears throat> and we, a way to justify ourselves is by calling others labels, we, or with labels. You know, we say, oh, they're, they're lazy. You know, they're, they're that because they're, they're morally unreliable. They're immigrants. They're dirty. And by doing that, what we're doing is we are trying to dehumanize them while at the same time affirm our superiority. Miroslav Volf, who is a, a, has a fantastic book called uh, Exclusion and Embrace. Uh, he's a professor at uh, Yale Divinity School. He says that we exclude the enemy from the community of humans, that is, we try to dehumanize them, even as we exclude ourselves from the community of sinners. So we exalt ourselves. And this is a very ugly picture of relationships. But you know what? This is what normal looks like. But now, let's move on to our second point, the new normal. And I told you I was going to use this in the most positive sense that it can be used. Paul says that because of Christ and through Christ, there is a new reality, a new humanity, not characterized by exclusion, but by embrace. Not by alienation, but by belonging, not by hate, but by love. And it is a community created by the Spirit for good works. Now let's take a look at three metaphors that Paul uses to describe this new humanity. Verses 19 to 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The first metaphor has to do with citizenship. Paul is telling the Gentiles that they are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens. On a, his commentary on Ephesians, John Stott describes the Gentiles as stateless and disenfranchised outsiders which is actually how many of them who were coming to believe in Christ originally felt 
stateless and disenfranchised outsiders. So Paul tells them that they have been granted full access and status, not as Israelites, not as members of the Roman Empire, but as citizens of God's eternal kingdom. That's where they belong. The Gentile Christians remain Gentiles. The Christian Jews remain Jews. But now, as followers of Jesus, they had a new status that was more fundamental to their identity than any other previous status or credentials they had. Nowadays, we use the idea of uh, dual citizenship when somebody is a citizen of two different countries at the same time. And frequently, one citizenship has more advantages than the other. Sometimes you are culturally more attached to one, but relationally more attached to the other. So we kind of play with the advantage of each depending on the context. But that's not the case with the citizenship in God's kingdom. To be part of the new humanity that Paul describes here means that you belong there above everything else. This citizenship becomes the most fundamental aspect of your identity. It defines how you evaluate and filter any other allegiance in your life. You might be an American, you might be a Mexican or something else. You might be a Democrat or a Republican. You might be a native or an immigrant. You might be rich, you might be poor. But if you are in Christ, what fundamentally this defines who you are is none of these categories, but your citizenship in God's kingdom. So a community of belonging rather than exclusion. Now, the second image that Paul uses here is the idea of being part of God's family. Paul tells the Gentiles, you are members of the household of God. This is a more intimate metaphor that expresses a close close relationship of love, care, and support. The new reality for those who are in Christ is that we have God as our Father. But it also means that we have an early family which is the church. So while the first metaphor speaks a lot about our identity and our relationship to any other Christian in the world, this second metaphor really grounds us in a local context. Because think about what living as a family means. What do families do or are supposed to do? They eat together. They laugh together. They know the worst of each other. They repent and forgive each other. They're always ready to help and care for each other. They take you to the doctor at the risk of getting sick with you. They listen to one another. Now, is this a way we live as part of this new humanity? To be honest, we tend to see our nuclear family as the real family and then the rest of believers as kind of a family. And perhaps a key reason for doing this is because we live in a very individualistic society and we have developed a very narrow view of family. But in Paul's time, the idea of household or oikos referred to an extended family that went beyond blood ties and that had a common life and a common purpose. So a community of love instead of hate. This picture prevents us from adopting an individualistic view of Christianity, but the next one prevents us from a separatist or a tribalistic 
view of Christianity. Because even as a family, we exist for the sake of the world. Paul says that we are God's temple. Verse 20, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we not only belong to God's kingdom, but we are also part of God's family and he actually lives in us. You can't get more personal than that. But why is this temple growing? Why is this temple growing? Well, in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God's glorious presence dwelt with his people. And that's where you went to worship. But now, with the resurrection of Christ, the temple is not a building. It's a people. And through these people that have been redeemed by Christ and empowered by the Spirit, God is advancing his plan for the world. And he's calling other people to be reconciled to him. And he's showing others what his goodness and his reign and his rule is all about. So the growing temple metaphor pushes us out from ourselves and from our family to join God in what he's doing in the world. So to despise each other, to exclude each other, to look down on others, to be self-centered, to ignore others, runs contrary to the way we are supposed to live based on our new normal, our new reality. It's contrary to our new identity. Now, this takes us to our last point, embracing how do we learn to live accordingly to our new identity? How should this play out in our relationships? Well, we need to go back to the the middle section of the passage. And the reason we need to go back there is because that's where Paul explained what what has happened, what has changed. But now, between being aliens and strangers and then becoming citizens and part of God's family, something happened in between. We couldn't work our way out from an old humanity to a new humanity, from death to life. Something objectively happened. Verse 13 to 17. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross." thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. You see, our hostility with one another ultimately comes from our hostility with God. If one of the planets in the solar system suddenly decided to stop gravitating around the sun and decided to gravitate around something else, Not only will that alter its relationship to the sun, but very quickly it will alter its relationship to all the other planets. Because it's obvious they will start colliding and causing collisions everywhere. In a similar way, when Adam and Eve sinned, that action not only resulted in a broken relationship with God, but it resulted in brokenness in all directions. So the only way for things to ultimately be fixed is through reconciliation with God. And that's not something that we can do on our own, not even something that naturally we want to do. 
remember that enmity came to define our relationship with him. But in his mercy, God decided not to abandon us. But instead, he sent his son as the prince of peace to get rid of the hostility through the cross. The prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus saying, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Christ himself is our peace. And if we are in him, if you come to believe in him, then you are reconciled to God and therefore to one another. Now, how can our personal relationships reflect more this reality? Well, I think that we need to see ourselves within verse 17. What do I mean by that? Verse 17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. This verse is a reference to the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were those who were near, because they had the law, the prophets, and the writings. They had the promises of God. They had the sign of circumcision. And they were devoted to their practices. And the Gentiles were those who were far off, living in this world as without God. Probably many of them living as crazy as they could. But both Jews and Gentiles, religious and irreligious, had one thing in common. They were both hostile to God. And they both needed Christ to preach peace to them. And this is a great reminder to all of us because it tells us that no matter how moral we are, how committed we are to the events at the church, or how good our life is, without Christ, we're still outside. And on the other hand, it tells us that no matter how bad we had been, or how messed our lives are, if our faith is in Christ, or if we trust Christ, that's all we need. And you know why? Because it is by grace not by works. It is by grace through faith in Christ. That's why he came to preach peace to those who were far and to those who were near because we all were out. We all were out. And the more the, the grace of Christ grasps our hearts, the more we will live accordingly to our new identity, the more we will be able to show that to the world. Because any other group that we belong to in this world is based on merits. If you're part of an alumni group, it means that you went to the same school. And if somebody that went to a less prestigious school comes to one of the events as a guest, you can look down on them. They don't belong there, right? Or if it's a science club, well, you have to be smart enough. If it's a country club, well, you have to pay your fees and then you have rights. Right? Or you have to dress accordingly. But even if it's just an informal social group, the rest of the group has to like you. They have to like the way you dress or the way you talk. But in every case, 
we can exclude and look down upon those that do not have enough merits to be there. But the new humanity, that community that Christ has created called his people, is completely different. Because what we are, by definition, is a community of people with no merits. To be part of the church means that you recognize that you have no merits. So you can't look down on anybody, neither inside nor outside. You have no right to look down on anybody because the only reason you're here is because of God's grace. But on the other hand, when we look at our own brokenness and we see how messed we are and how much we're still struggling and we wonder if we can still belong here or if we can be welcome, there's no need to fear because it is by grace because Christ is our peace. Let us pray. God, you have given us um, the glorious the glorious gospel of our recent Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as we joyfully receive the good news for ourselves, that we may be grateful and share with others as well and ever give glory to you, by whose grace alone we are what we are. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.